Hello everyone, what is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct. Thank you so much for joining me here today. If you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am the host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again every Thursday as well on YouTube and you are not going to want to miss it. Now, before we jump right on into today's case, which I cannot wait to talk to you guys about today, I do have some exciting news that some of you have asked me about over the past couple of weeks, and that is whether or not we will be doing Halloween again. And if you are unfamiliar with Halloween, Halloween is the one time of the year where we post five back-to-back episodes on the days leading up to Halloween. And the answer to that question is yes, we are doing Halloween this year. So from October 24th to October 28th, you guys will get an episode every single day. Halloween is always the craziest time of the year, but it's always the best time of the year. This is the fourth time we have done Halloween, and I get so excited about it. And I know you guys get so excited about it, which only fuels my excitement more. So I did want to let you guys know that that is coming up in about a month. And so to mark your calendars and get excited. So with that being said, now let's talk about why we are here today, and that is to discuss the case of Daniel Robinson. Daniel's case is still unsolved. He went missing in June of 2021, so just a little over a year ago, and this case has not gotten the recognition that it deserves, and there's still so many unanswered questions about what happened to Daniel and where he could possibly be. So with that being said, Let's jump right on into it today. Daniel Robinson was born on January 14th, 1997. So fun fact, him and I actually share a birthday. He was born to his parents, Melissa Edmonds and David Robinson. Daniel was the youngest of four children and grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, where he attended the College of Charleston. Now, something to know about Daniel is that he was born without his right hand. And while some people might see that and view it as a setback or a handicap, Daniel was the opposite. Daniel fully embraced himself for who he was, and even when his mom bought him a prosthetic hand, he refused to wear it. He wanted nothing to do with it because he wanted to, again, embrace who he was. And he wanted people to accept him for who he was and to prove to other people that this didn't define him. So he was able to play video games. He was in the marching band where he even taught himself how to play the French horn and the trombone. And when he went to college, he decided that he wanted to major in geology, which I just think is the coolest thing ever. And Daniel's family said that he was the type of person that just cared about making a difference in the world. That was the number one goal that Daniel had for his life is that he wanted to make a change. And Daniel loved nature and he wanted to be doing something outdoorsy whenever he got the chance. And luckily enough, when he graduated college, he was able to get a job at a company called Matrix New World, where he worked as a geologist. And at the time of his disappearance, he had been working at Matrix for around a year while also being an Instacart delivery driver on the side. Now, at the time of his disappearance, he was living in Tempe, Arizona, in an apartment by 
himself. So that is the backstory of Daniel, and that is what brings us to June 23rd, 2021, at around 9 a.m. When Daniel arrived at a work site in the desert of Buckeye, Arizona, where he met his co-worker, Ken. Now, the job site was about a mile west of Sun Valley Parkway and about 200 feet north of West Cactus Road. The only way to access this job site was from a dirt road which started on the west side of Sun Valley Parkway. The dirt road goes for about a mile until it reaches what was described as a T in the road. And once you arrive at that T, if you go north at the split and go for about 2,000 more feet, you will be at the job site. So basically, in simpler terms, you were in the middle of the desert. Daniel and Ken were planning on being at this job site and working there for the majority of the day. However, when Daniel arrived, Ken said that he was acting very bizarre. According to Ken, Daniel was not acting like his usual self and was saying things that were unlike him. He kept asking Ken if he wanted to go rest and if Ken wanted to go to Phoenix to rest. And at first, Ken thought that this could be in reference to the fact that it looked like it was going to rain outside, so he thought Daniel was saying that they should go home because of that. However, right when Ken pulled out his weather app on his phone, Daniel began walking back towards his car. He then waved at Ken as if he was waving goodbye before turning around, getting into his car, and driving away. Now, according to Ken, Daniel wasn't there for more than 15 minutes before he just left, and Daniel didn't tell Ken where he was going or when he was coming back. But again, Ken was under the assumption that Daniel wasn't just leaving for the day. He thought that that was very unlike Daniel. Daniel was a very timely and punctual person, and he was also very responsible when it came to work, so he didn't think that Daniel was just going to up and leave. However, Ken did decide to call their project manager, which was a man named Steve, and told him what happened, and Steve agreed that Ken should keep working on the project and basically keep each other updated on what happened the rest of the day, meaning that if Daniel came back to the work site, then Ken would notify Steve of that, and if Steve somehow got a hold of Daniel, then he would tell Ken. So Ken decides at this moment that he is just going to get back to work. So he does that for a couple hours. And when Daniel still didn't come back and there were no updates on his whereabouts, Ken decided to get in his car and drive around the desert and see if he could locate Daniel. And like I mentioned earlier, it did rain that morning. So Ken was able to find Daniel's car tire tracks in the sand of the desert. However, ultimately, the tracks would end at a certain point and he still couldn't find Daniel. Now, at that point, around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Daniel's work ended up getting in contact with one of Daniel's sisters. And this particular sister was the only sister that lived in Arizona. She lived in Phoenix. So they told his sister what had happened, and at that point, she decided to go over to Daniel's apartment and see if he was there or if his car was there. However, both were gone. The next thing she did was she called her dad, David, who again lived in South Carolina at the time, and she informed him of what was going on, and that is when he immediately called police to file a missing persons report that night. 
David informed police of Daniel's bizarre behavior, said that this was very much unlike him. He was not the type of guy to not answer his phone, to not respond to texts, and especially not the kind of guy that would just up and leave his job and not return. So David and the rest of the family knew that something was very, very wrong. However, because of the time of night it was, police told David that they wouldn't be able to do a full-on search in the desert for Daniel that night. Because in the desert at night, it's pretty much pitch black, so it's very difficult to search. So they told David that they would begin their search first thing in the morning. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? Well, apartments.com's instant alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. Now, when the investigation initially began, David and police were in pretty constant communication. Police looked to David in the beginning to fill in the holes about who David was and what was and what wasn't normal about the behavior that he was exhibiting. And David was the first one to tell police that even though he knew his son would not just up and leave voluntarily, he could attest to the fact that Daniel was acting a little bit odd leading up to his disappearance. David said for the few weeks leading up to his disappearance, Daniel told his dad that he had met a woman and he was in love with her. Now, the reason that this was so odd to David was because Daniel couldn't really provide any information on who this woman was, where they met, why he liked her. He simply just said that he was in love with this woman. And he did tell his dad her name and said that her name was Caitlin. But other than that, no context. Which I think some people could counter that and argue that that's not necessarily, you know, the most abnormal behavior that you've ever seen. But the reason that David was so adamant that this was not normal for his son was because Daniel wasn't giving any more context. And Daniel was very open with his family. He had a really great relationship with them. And so because he was acting a little bit secretive, that is what raised the red flags. Police also asked David if Daniel was involved in any drugs or alcohol, and while David said that he did know that Daniel drank alcohol and smoked weed, he said that he had no knowledge of any drug use outside of that, and he also told police that he had no history with mental health or mental illness or any struggles with depression, and David was adamant on the fact that his son should not be considered a runaway and should not be considered someone who was thinking about ending their life. So after speaking to David, police then wanted to talk to Daniel's sister, Devisha. Now, Devisha was the one that lived in Phoenix. She's the only one that lives in Arizona, and that is the one who went to check on Daniel on the 23rd. Now, according to her, she said that when it came to Daniel's behavior, there was one occasion where he came over to her apartment and he walked in, sat on the couch, would not say a single 
word, even when he was spoken to or asked questions to, he would not respond. And then after about 30 minutes, he got up and walked out of the house. And that was just in the days leading up to his disappearance. Now, Davisha also told police that she was familiar with the woman that Daniel was saying that he was in love with. And Davisha told police that Daniel had listened to a podcast that Caitlin had told him to listen to. And according to Daniel, this was a very positive podcast that really transformed his perspective on life. He had actually told Davisha that it changed the way that he viewed things and he now viewed the world in a positive way and it helped him look at things in a positive energy and it also taught him how to avoid negative energy. So Daniel went missing on June 23rd and on June 24th, he was scheduled to work a shift at his job. However, he never showed up. On June 24th, police got in contact with Kenneth where he recounted the events that I mentioned in the beginning. And Kenneth also made a point to tell police that even though Daniel was acting odd and he had bizarre behavior, he said it didn't seem like Daniel was hallucinating or was incoherent or that the behavior that Daniel was exhibiting was concerning from a mental health standpoint. Now, the weekend before Daniel went missing, a friend of his had actually come into town and stayed with him. This friend was named Luke and Luke was visiting Daniel from New York. Police were able to get in touch with Luke, who said that Daniel was acting very normal on this trip and that the last time he spoke to Daniel was on the 22nd of June, so one day prior to his disappearance. Now, even though Luke told police that Daniel wasn't acting odd or abnormal for him, Luke did tell police that Daniel had confessed to him that he had been feeling depressed lately. The two of them were sitting at a bar when Daniel told Luke that he was depressed, but that was really the extent of the conversation. Luke did try and ask questions about what was causing the depression and where it stemmed from. However, Daniel did not want to elaborate, and so ultimately, the two of them ended up just changing the topic of conversation. Now, there was also another co-worker who was a friend of Daniel's named Roger. The two of them met when Daniel first moved to Phoenix and Daniel actually ended up staying with Roger for about a month to get on his feet and get settled. And the police didn't really even know that Roger existed. It wasn't the police that found Roger. It was actually a private investigator who was hired by Daniel's father. This private investigator is named Jeff and Jeff made police aware of Roger. Jeff told the detectives that during one of the searches that was put together for Daniel, Roger attended one of the searches and Jeff and Roger started having a conversation. Now, Jeff had told Roger that he wanted to meet with him on a different occasion and talk to him further about Daniel. And that's when Roger apparently turned completely white as a ghost and responded with, oh shit. And then after that, avoided Jeff for the remainder of the search. Now, this was obviously behavior that police thought that they needed to look into. And when looking through Daniel's phone, they did find texts between Daniel and Roger in the months leading up to his disappearance. And on June 21st, Daniel had texted Roger asking if he wanted to go to breakfast with Daniel, to which Roger agreed. 
Then on June 23rd, after Daniel had been reported missing, Roger ended up texting Daniel expressing his concerns, saying that no one was able to get in touch with him or hear from him, and also telling Daniel that if he wanted to go on a drive or just wanted someone to talk to, that Roger was there for him. So basically just reaching out saying, if you need a friend, I'm here. Now, police were able to interview Roger, who told them from the 16th to the 20th of June, he was out of town because Roger's father had passed away, so he went back home to be with his family. However, on June 21st, when Roger arrived to work, he saw Daniel in the office, which was pretty unusual because Daniel was a field worker, so he rarely was seen in the actual office. And Roger also noticed that Daniel's appearance seemed very, very different. Daniel had cut his hair, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to Roger because Daniel had been talking for weeks at that point about the fact that he wanted to grow his hair out. So when Roger saw that, he remembers thinking to himself that something was not right with Daniel and that Roger needed to talk to him. And like I mentioned earlier, it was that same day that Roger and Daniel went and got breakfast together. They went to Chick-fil-A and Daniel did disclose to Roger that he was having girl problems and essentially said that there was a girl that he liked a lot, but this girl did not know that he existed. So this girl wasn't even giving him the time of day. Roger said that Daniel then went on to talk about religion and was asking Roger questions about whether or not he believed in miracles, which struck Roger as odd because Daniel was never one to talk about religion before and had never expressed his religious beliefs to Roger. So that did throw Roger off a little bit. Along with that, Daniel also asked Roger if he trusted him and asked Roger if he would trust him even if the two of them weren't friends. Daniel then went on to talk about the fact that he believed that he needed to get rid of his own ego. And Roger, who's on the other end of this conversation, said that he was telling Daniel, you know, I don't think you're egotistical. I don't think that, you know, you're arrogant or anything like that, I think that you're just confident and I think that that's a very positive trait to have. And when he said that, Daniel responded with, quote, well, I have to get rid of my story, end quote. And Roger was able to quote that to police because he remembers being confused by that statement. The following morning on the 22nd, the two of them went to breakfast again, and this time they went in Daniel's car. The first time they went in Roger's, now they were in Daniel's. And Daniel elaborated slightly on the girl problems that he was having, and he was asking Roger questions about what to do if there's a girl that he liked but he knew that he couldn't have. Roger then went on to give him advice about, you know, you just gotta get out there, there's more fish in the sea, but none of that advice really seemed to stick with Daniel. After they went to breakfast, they then went back to the office where Daniel stayed for about 15 minutes before leaving. So now I think we need to talk about the elephant in the room, which is who is this girl that Daniel was talking about? He talked to multiple people in his family about her, talked to multiple of his friends about her. So now it's time for us to talk about her. So let's talk about Caitlin. 
Now to understand what went on and what happened between Daniel and Caitlin, we really need to start from the beginning, which was on June 12th of 2021, so about 11 days before Daniel was last seen. On June 12th, Daniel was out working Instacart. Like I mentioned in the beginning, he was an Instacart delivery driver part-time, and Daniel received an order from a girl to pick up alcohol and drop it off at her house, and the woman who made the order was Caitlin. Now, for those who aren't entirely familiar with Instacart, it basically is a food delivery service where they'll pick up groceries for you, they can pick up alcohol for you, and they deliver the items within about an hour or less most times. So on this specific order, Daniel was delivering alcohol to a woman named Caitlin. Now, Caitlin lived in Levine, Arizona, and on the night of the delivery, she was at her house with a girlfriend of hers. So Daniel picks up the alcohol, he brings it to Caitlin's house, and when Caitlin went outside to grab the order, her and Daniel got to chatting and she ultimately ended up asking Daniel if he would like to come inside and hang out with her and her friend. Now, if you're not familiar with Instacart, this is not something that typically happens. However, according to Caitlin, she said that her and her friends were a little intoxicated that night and they didn't see Daniel as harmful or intimidating because in her words, Daniel was on the shorter side. He was about five foot eight and because he only had one hand. Again, those were her words. So Daniel agreed to go into Caitlin's home and when he walked in, him, Caitlin, and her friend all just began talking and Caitlin and Daniel ended up exchanging phone numbers. Now, according to Caitlin, she said nothing happened that night that was past a platonic standpoint. She said that there was no romantic interest on her part. She was simply just wanting to make a friend. However, I will say that some of Daniel's friends have come out and spoken to police and said that according to Daniel, him and Caitlin did end up hooking up that night and Daniel told his friends that. So you have Caitlin saying that nothing happened, Daniel saying that something happened, and we don't know the situation, we weren't there. However, what comes after this is very telling. So Daniel and Caitlin ended up exchanging phone numbers. And I think right off of the bat, there was a miscommunication between the two of them. It was clear that Daniel was approaching this interaction between him and Caitlin from more of a romantic standpoint. And again, like I mentioned, Caitlin said that she was simply into it as a platonic friend. Now, after they exchanged numbers is when Caitlin sent Daniel the podcast that he had told his sister about. And according to Caitlin, she said that Daniel wasn't at her house for very long. He was there for maybe an hour or two. However, when he did leave, he ended up leaving behind his canopy. And why it was at the house to begin with is unclear. However, he did end up forgetting it and leaving it behind. A few days after the 12th, Daniel ended up texting Caitlin regarding the canopy, and Caitlin told him that he could come by anytime he wanted to pick it up. Daniel then responded to that text by asking Caitlin if he could come by in that moment or the following day to pick up the canopy. And he also asked for directions to her house. However, Caitlin was actually out of town 
at that time. So she didn't respond immediately. However, she was very shocked when she got a notification later that day from her security camera at her home. And when she went to check the notification, she saw that Daniel was walking up to her front door and attempting to talk to Caitlin through the house. So he was outside knocking and saying her name. Now, as you can imagine, this was extremely uncomfortable for Caitlin because she never responded to the text in regards to directions on how to get to her house. So Caitlin was under the impression that Daniel either saved the address from Instacart or just was able to remember it, which both she felt very uncomfortable by. On June 16th, so just four days after their initial encounter, Caitlin ended up texting Daniel, letting him know that she saw him on the security camera and that she was out of town at the moment. However, when she got back, they could make arrangements for him to come back and pick up the canopy. And it was in this moment where Caitlin told police that she felt a shift from a little bit odd to just downright creepy. Daniel began texting Caitlin, telling her that he loved her. And then one day later texted her saying he was standing outside of her home. When Caitlin got back into town, she texted Daniel saying she couldn't find the canopy. And Daniel told her that he already had it because he went to her house the prior day to grab it without telling her. He then went on to talk about how he couldn't stop thinking about her and was in love with her. And at this point, Caitlin was very uncomfortable. So she ended up texting Daniel, telling her that she did not feel comfortable about him showing up unannounced and ultimately asked him to stop talking to her. The last text that Caitlin said she got from Daniel was on June 22nd, around 3 p.m., when he texted her telling her that she wouldn't see him anymore. The exact message was, quote, the world can get better, but I'll have to take all the time I can or we can, whatever to name it. I'll either see you again or never see you again, end quote. And after that last text message was sent by Daniel, Caitlin never heard from him again. So this now brings us to June 26th. And at this time, there were still no signs of Daniel and police were searching all through the deserted area and brought in helicopters to canvas. They brought in cadaver dogs. However, nothing turned up. Police did look into Daniel's cell phone records and they were able to see that the last text message that Daniel sent was at 8.10 a.m. on June 23rd and it was to his coworker Ken. However, before that, detectives were able to see that Daniel texted his mom on June 21st. He also tried to call her but didn't get an answer so he left a voicemail. The voicemail said, quote, Hey mom, just wanted to call you and tell you that I love you. And yeah, we can talk later. Okay, bye. End quote. Now, again, like I said, he also sent his mother a text message on the 21st that said, quote, I just want to say I love you, mom. You raised me strong, and even though I'm going through hardships, I never forget those sacrifices you made for me to reach where I am now. I couldn't have done it without you. Thanks for everything, and I love you for being the best mom I ever had, end quote. Now on the 22nd, the next day, Daniel sent a text message to his sister Devisha telling her that there was an emergency. However, after he sent that text, he never returned any of her calls or texts from then on. 
Now, police also were able to look at Daniel's bank statements, and they saw that there was a charge that was processed of $17.88 on June 24th, 2021. So that was one day after Daniel went missing. The charge was from a Waffle House that was about 4.5 miles away from Daniel's apartment. Now, the thing that's confusing here is that sometimes it can take several days for a payment to process and to show up in bank statements. So knowing that fact, police decided to go to the Waffle House and look at surveillance. And when they did that, they saw that Daniel went to this Waffle House, not on the 24th, but he actually went on the 22nd. Now, while they were there, police did speak to the waitress that was serving Daniel at the Waffle House. And she said that Daniel was there by himself and he seemed very skittish and he did not want to talk and did not want to engage in conversation. Now, since Daniel went missing, there were multiple people who called in tips regarding possible sightings of him, one being a girl who claimed that she saw Daniel working at a Circle K. However, this was confirmed not to be Daniel. There was another tip that came in claiming that Daniel was at a mental health facility. However, that was confirmed not to be him as well. Now, there was a theory that was talked about on whether or not Daniel could have come in contact with a wild animal in the desert and if he was attacked by one. However, there was only one mountain lion that was discovered in the area and there was no evidence to prove that Daniel ever came in contact with it. Then we move to July 19th, 2021. So almost one month of Daniel being missing. And on this day, Daniel's blue Jeep Renegade was located at 8.54 a.m. by a local landowner in Buckeye, Arizona. The car was laying on its passenger side and it was facing northwest in the desert. The car was found three miles away from the work site that Daniel drove away from the day that he went missing and was in between two hills on a downward slope in the middle of sand, rocks, and shrubs. The airbags in the car had gone off and the driver front window was completely shattered. Inside the car were a pair of jeans, two brown work boots, a bright orange work vest with Daniel's company logo, a t-shirt, and socks. It's believed that these were the clothes that Daniel was wearing when he went missing. Along with that, Daniel's cell phone, his wallet, his car and apartment keys, a backpack with his work laptop, and other items were found inside of the car. Now, you would think with such an intense crash, there would be evidence of blood. However, there was no blood or evidence of injury inside of the car. Now, interestingly enough, authorities were able to get a hold of the black box inside of Daniel's car on July 21st, and a black box in a car can detect the speed of the car before a collision, and it also can detect other valuable information in the moments before a crash. Police were able to figure out that at the time the airbags were set off in Daniel's car, the car was going at 30 miles an hour and that the driver's side seatbelt was buckled in at the time of the crash. However, contrary to that, a vehicular crime investigator looked at that information and said he did not believe that the car was going 30 miles an hour because he himself tried to get his off-roading vehicle up to that speed 
to test it and he could not get his car to go that fast. Along with that, he was also able to figure out that the start button on Daniel's car was pushed multiple times after the crash. And even more bizarre, the private investigator determined that the car was driven an additional seven miles after the airbags were set off, which has led Daniel's family to believe that where the crash occurred was not consistent to where the car was found. Then a little over a week after the car was found on July 31st, 2021, there was a human skull located near where Daniel's car was recovered. However, ultimately this did not turn out to be Daniel and was another missing person who had gone missing in 2010. Now, I want to talk about Daniel's family for a moment, more specifically David, because David has been very vocal about his frustrations surrounding the progress of this case. David feels like Daniel's case is not getting the recognition or attention it deserves, and he truly believes that Daniel was met with foul play. However, he does have faith that Daniel will return home alive. David moved from South Carolina to Arizona just days after Daniel went missing to help aid in the search efforts and ultimately he ended up starting his pretty much own investigation aside from what the police were doing like i mentioned he hired the private investigator named jeff and in regards to daniel's case david has said quote i only imagine every time i look out there my son is somewhere hoping that his dad will come find him you know I feel like there's a lot of answers that weren't answered for me in regards to my son's case. I'm still searching for those and I'm going to keep trying until I get them. Oftentimes, when black and brown children go missing, they're labeled as runaways. Runaways are not receiving Amber Alerts. When it's an adult that's missing, male or female, black or brown, their disappearance is oftentimes associated with some sort of criminal activity. It really desensitizes the case and dehumanizes them. We don't know what happened to my son after he left that work site. To put a narrative that he just crashes his vehicle and just walks away is ludicrous to me." End quote. David himself has organized multiple searches that according to him have actually led to the remains of six other missing persons. Which is wild if you think about it. David is out there conducting these searches and doing everything he can to find his son and he has basically brought home six other missing people. Now, David has been vocal about his hope that Daniel's case will change from a missing persons investigation to a criminal investigation. And the reason he wants that is because if it becomes a criminal investigation, it will allow the Buckeye Police Department to use evidence that's already been obtained, so evidence that they already have, to seek out specific warrants that they can't obtain if it's just a missing persons case. And again, David has just expressed a lot of frustration because he feels like there is a lack of urgency. This case happened around the same time period that the Gabby Petito case was going on, and we all know how big Gabby Petito's case was. And there's been a lot of comparison when it comes to Gabby and Daniel's cases because they happened around the same time. However, one got an enormous amount of press and media and was basically shoved in everyone's faces while Daniel's was not. 
So with that all being said, we still don't know what happened to Daniel or where he is, but there are a lot of theories. So let's talk theories. Now, the first theory I want to talk about is the police's theory. Now, based off of all of the information and evidence that they have, police believe that Daniel crashed his car at the site that it was found and that he was able to escape the car via the sunroof because the sunroof had been broken open as a result of the crash. They believe that after he got out of the sunroof, he just walked off, roaming around the desert. Police believe it's possible that due to the crash, he could have suffered a severe head injury. And due to that head injury, he could have felt overheated. And that is a symptom of having a head injury. You can get overheated and it was already warm outside to begin with. We're talking this summer in the desert of Arizona. So they believe that these hot flashes could have caused him to remove all of his clothing and walk off and find a tree to sit under and he could have possibly succumbed to his injury there. And like I said, there was an entire outfit found in Daniel's car, which is why they believe that he was not wearing any clothes when he walked off potentially. So that is what the police believe. And Daniel's family has a very different theory. They think that the possibility or the likelihood that that happened is just insanity to them. They do not believe it for a second. And they also believe that if that were to be the case, and if Daniel were to have just, you know, walked off and sat under a tree, that he would have been found by now. His remains would have been discovered. And so David has a different theory. David believes that Daniel was met with some sort of foul play. David says that Daniel would have never left his phone, his wallet, or his clothes behind. And in his mind, the idea that Daniel was in this car crash and walked away unscathed, like I said, it's a lunacy to them. In regards to his own theory, he said, quote, my theory is more geared towards somebody did something to my son or somebody knows what happened to my son and is not saying anything. I don't think my son wrecked his vehicle, got out on his own accord, took his clothes off, and just walked off and survived out there in the desert somewhere. I don't believe that." End quote. So that is what David and the rest of Daniel's family believe. Now, I will say, when it comes to the public and their theory, there have been many people in the public who have been following this case and have oftentimes criticized Daniel's family in the sense that they believe that the family is being very naive. I have seen many comments and opinions about people saying that it's very clear that Daniel was struggling with mental health issues, and he even admitted to his friends himself that he was depressed. Daniel was admitting to his friends that he was going through a hard time. He was acting off towards everyone he came in contact with. He was exhibiting bizarre behavior. He was texting his sister about there is an emergency. He texted his mom two days before his disappearance, a text that almost seems like a final farewell message. When looking at the text that Daniel sent Melissa, where he says, you know, you're the best mother I've ever had. You raised me strong, and even though I'm going through hardships, I never forget the sacrifices you made for me to reach where I am now. Thank you for everything that you've done. That type of language does seem like a goodbye message. He speaks almost in the past tense. You're the best mother I've ever had. You raised me strong. I'll never forget the sacrifices you've made. It does seem like a goodbye message, almost. 
And on a side note to that theory, a lot of people have speculated if it's possible that Daniel was in some sort of manic state. There has been speculation on whether or not Daniel smoked weed that was laced with something. There's been talks of PCP, which is a dissociative hallucinogenic drug that could have caused a major shift in his behavior and could explain why he was acting so odd and off to everyone. And if that was the case and he was in an altered state of mind, it would have made him a lot more vulnerable and an easier target for foul play. So those are the theories that have been floating around. And I personally don't really know where I fall. I think that there's a lot of questions in this case. I think Daniel was definitely struggling and I don't think that there's any question in regards to that. He was openly admitting to people that he was struggling. His behavior had shifted. He openly admitted that he was depressed. He was changing his appearance. But I don't know if I believe that he ran off on his own with no interaction of foul play. I think anything is possible in this case. I truly do. But what I think is not most important, what Daniel's family thinks is most important. And Daniel's family wants the public to know that Daniel is not a runaway. And they also want everyone to know what an impact Daniel made on the world. He's brilliant. He's a geologist. He wants to change the world and wants to make it a better place and have an impact and a legacy. And his family is doing everything that they can to maintain that legacy for him. And no matter what happened to Daniel, he deserves justice and his story deserves to be heard so his family can have the answers that they deserve. And with that being said, you guys, that is the case of Daniel Robinson. Again, I cannot wait to hear what you guys have to say about this. I feel like you're going to have a lot of opinions and I can't wait to read them because like I said, I really don't know where I fall in this case. So I'm interested to see where you do. But with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. If you're new here, hi, my name's Savannah and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly on the podcast every Wednesday and then again, every Thursday on YouTube as well. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'll be back next week with a brand new case for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.